May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. If you've never watched the show, I'm sure you're aware of its existence, uh, The X-Files, which uh, came out in the 1990s and actually is still on. Did you know this? They had a, a new season that came out last year, which I haven't seen yet, um, and is, has been renewed for a 2017 uh, filming for an 11th season after a, a decade sort of hiatus and some 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 film versions in between, but if you don't know the the sort of main plot line of the story, it's about a sort of um, secret uh, FBI uh, ca- case file and two detectives who work on uh, investigating paranormal activities. And a sort of a, a theme that runs throughout it is is aliens who've who've come and intervened in uh, in human activity. And the main character is a guy named Fox Mulder, who is a pure believer of paranormal activity and the existence of aliens. He knows the truth. As a matter of fact, from episode one, when Dana Scully, his partner, meets him in his basement office for the first time, you see behind his desk a poster with a flying saucer that says, I want to believe. I want to believe. And you can contrast that with his partner, Dana Scully, who, uh, who's a, a scientist. She's a medical doctor, and she does not believe that, that in the existence of this paranormal activity. For most of the series, in spite of all that she's seen, she says, you know, there must be a scientific explanation. Uh, so she is a, a disbeliever when it comes to this. But eventually the evidence stacks up. And by about season seven, Dana Scully becomes a believer in aliens because Fox Mulder is uh, abducted. And, uh, and she just, she has to believe finally all that she's seen. And just as the X-Files has the plot motif of belief, but belief in the paranormal, John's gospel is also primarily concerned with belief. Well, not in uh, the belief of aliens, but in the belief in Jesus Christ being exactly who he said he was. So John's gospel has a primary concern in the idea of belief in Jesus Christ, and not only Jesus Christ, but who he said he was. As a matter of fact, the words belief or believe are repeated dozens of times in John's gospel, if you didn't catch the point. And indeed, at the end of our chapter today, uh, John explains that these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the Apostle John wanted his readers, that's you and me and everyone else who's read it, the Apostle John wanted his readers to believe as strongly in Jesus Christ being who he said he was as Mulder believed in paranormal activity, in the existence of of aliens. And the the theme of belief is demonstrated uh, in our story today uh, with Thomas, uh, with the disciple Thomas. Uh, 
And uh, you'll recall from the reading that first uh, the disciples on the day of the resurrection and that evening are in the upper room and the door is locked shut because they're afraid of the Jewish authorities. And there are, the ten, there are 10 of the disciples there because Judas is already dead. And Thomas, for some reason that's not explained, uh, isn't in the room. And even though the door is locked shut, Jesus miraculously appears and they see the risen Christ and that he's not just a ghost, but he is the material, real deal, Jesus. And later that day, Thomas comes back to the upper room after, you know, running some errands, comes back with the groceries or whatever, and they say, Thomas, Jesus isn't there. And they say, Thomas, you'll never believe what we saw. Jesus Christ is risen, and he was here, and we saw him. And Thomas has the reaction of, unless I see his hands... Uh, the marks of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I have to see what you're saying in order to believe it. I can't just uh, believe what you're telling me. And indeed, we uh, read that eight days later, a week later, his disciples were again inside, inside the upper room, and Thomas this time is with the other ten. And although the doors were locked again, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, knowing the doubts that Thomas had, even though Jesus wasn't in, there, uh, in the room physically when he came back later, a week earlier, Jesus says to Thomas, uh, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Well, there's so much that we can say about just this one little uh, snippet of the, the passage that we have today. But let me just say a, a couple of things. As I said, Jesus knows Thomas's doubts, even though he wasn't uh, in the room when he came back later. Uh, a week earlier, the disciples were talking uh, to him, and he said, he, he, Jesus knew exactly what he said. I need, to, I need to touch the wounds. I need to place my finger on them and put my hand in his side. And Jesus gives him the opportunity to do so. Here he is. Uh, the empirical data is standing in front of him and Jesus allows him to use the scientific method to test the, the, the facts, the truth. And we don't even hear that Thomas actually took him up on the offer. We actually, unlike the, the, all the paintings that show Thomas touching the wounds, all that we read is he heard that he had the opportunity and he's seeing it with his very eyes and he believes. My Lord and my God, and then Jesus says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What he's saying is, I'm not going to be here much longer. I'm going to ascend into heaven. Not many people are going to have the opportunity that you all had, that you had, Thomas. Uh, I can only do this for a little while to allow a few people to see the empirical data. It's up to you to tell this story. Bear witness to what you've seen here in the upper room and, and, and what you believe uh, so that others might believe who will not see. Uh, and indeed, John says, this was enough. This is, a, this is enough story. To, this is sufficient. This is enough for you to read and to believe. 
And although belief is the purpose of John's gospel, let me add uh, one caveat. Uh, when I was uh, uh, doing academic work, people would often say, let me problematize the theory. Let me problematize the theory of, of simple belief here for you. Consider the case of the X-Files again. The arch-villain of the X-Files, you remember who it was? It was this guy they called the Cigarette Smoking Man. Uh, they didn't know his name, but he was always smoking cigarettes, so that's, that was his nickname. And he worked for the government in a sort of black ops capacity, and he knew the truth about the aliens. He, he, he knew it. He's seen it. Uh, and many others in the government, these shady government departments, knew too. And their whole MO was to cover up the truth. The cigarette-smoking man believed, and yet he did not want others to believe. Whereas Mulder had all the right intentions to know about the aliens, the cigarette-smoking man was in it for self-serving, sinister, and manipulative purposes. Uh, and so even though he believed, it was in a completely different way. He knew the empirical data, but it was totally different belief than Mulder's. The Bible likewise demonstrates that even Satan... And the demonic hosts of hell believe. They know the truth of who God is and that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God. Consider the demon in the synagogue of Capernaum who said, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Or the legion of demons who said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? And so you see that even those... Uh, with malintent, enemies of God, uh, can believe in the true identity of who Jesus is and remain enemies of God. So what's missing? What's missing from the equation? John's gospel doesn't stop at mere belief in the historical data. Rather, it's concerned with a complete heart change that comes along with the belief in the historical facts. You can call this faith, or trust, or being reborn, regenerated, reanimated, having new life. Consider the encounter that Jesus has with the Pharisee Nicodemus in John chapter 3. The first thing Nicodemus says when he comes to Jesus in the dark at night so no one would see him, the first thing he says to him is, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. He's affirming his belief in Jesus's identity. He believes the empirical data, but something's missing. So Jesus responds with what's needed. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Thus, like Mulder, I want to believe. You know, I want to believe, but I also need to be born again. I also need a rebirth. I cannot enter the womb a second time, literally, on my own ability. So the Word and Spirit of God must do the work, giving me the belief and the new life that comes with it. I've heard people say on occasion things like, even if Christianity isn't true, it makes my life better. Or, 
even if God weren't real, I'd still be a Christian. Or something like, even if heaven isn't for real, uh, even if there isn't the afterlife that the Bible talks about, being a Christian makes me happy. Uh, And I want to say to you that this is all sentimental nonsense. If you say things like that, stop it. Just stop it. It's just saccharine sentimental nonsense that isn't the truth. I'm sure that the Christians at Mount Sinai Monastery last week who were attacked by ISIS and their security guard was killed aren't saying things like that. I'm sure that the Christians in Cairo, Egypt, whose churches were bombed two weeks ago, are not saying sentimental things like this. You, and, and even though they're being attacked from, from such forces, they still believe. Why do they believe? Because they believe in the way that Thomas finally did when he shouted, my Lord, And my God, the heart has been changed. It's not just about the data. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Well, maybe you you do believe. You know, maybe I'm uh, preaching to the quote-unquote choir. Maybe you do believe in all that I'm saying. And Jesus is who he says he is. And the person that John uh, tells us about. But maybe, just maybe, your belief most days is a mere intellectual assent. The belief in the historical data simply isn't taking root in your life and your heart. You still have doubts and guilt. Oh, the guilt that seems to be standing in the way. Maybe your identity as a Christian is mostly a cultural and familial one. Maybe you're a Christian, but it's for sentimental reasons about being a nicer and happier person, sort of low-grade morality, you know? But it's not about the person who John told us about. Or maybe there's something preventing you. Maybe there is something standing in the way. Perhaps you doubt the exclusivity of the Christian claim. Or like Thomas, you say, unless I see him with my own eyes, unless God gives me physical evidence in this life, I cannot believe it. Don't ask for that, because the next time Jesus comes around, you want to be believing. There are those who have believed and seen. and There are those who were in the upper room who've given us things like John's gospel sufficient so that we might have belief. Jesus said, unless one is born again, one cannot see the kingdom of God. I recently read a a short story by Leo Tolstoy called Walk in the Light While There is Still Light. Uh, It's a little bit long for, it's a little bit longish for a short story. It's about a man who's wanting to believe. He goes through a lifelong process of wanting to believe in Christianity. And he lives in second century uh, Rome. He's a pagan Roman and there are Christians in his midst. And one of them is his friend. And the man who's the pagan Roman, his name is Julius. And his Christian friend is named Pamphilius. And the whole story is is basically, you know, every 10 years or so, they encounter each other and they have an interaction. So it's the dialogues that they have. It's kind of Tolstoy giving you what he thinks Christianity is, basically. And this man won't believe. He comes so close until finally in old age, he has uh, what you all here in the South say, a come apart. He has a come apart. His whole life is falling apart. 
around him. His, his wife, who basically was a Christian, has died. Um, and uh, he's, his, his career is in ruin, even though he's a wealthy, aristocratic Roman. Uh, and uh, no one wants anything to do with him. As a matter of fact, his son would rather he be dead. And it, we pick up right here when he's having the come apart. And what I'm going to read to you, and I'll end with this, the end of the story. Walk in the light while there's still light. He then retired to his wife's rooms. There he found a copy of the Gospels and read, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and, there, and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yes, thought Julius. He has long been calling me. I did not believe him, but was refractory and wicked, and my yoke was heavy, and my burden grievous. He sat there for a long time with the open gospel on his knee, thinking over his whole past life and remembering all that Pamphilius had said to him at different times. At last he rose and went to his son. Without saying a word to his son, Julius went out into the street and set off toward the Christian settlement. By the close of another day, he reached the Christian settlement. They received him gladly, though they did not know that he was a friend of Pamphilius, whom they all loved and respected. At the refectory, isn't that funny? At the refectory, Pamphilius, seeing his friend, ran to him gladly and embraced him. At last I have come, said Julius. Tell me what I am to do, and I will obey you. Don't trouble about that, said Pamphilius. Come with me. And he led Julius into the guest house. After a life full of lies and even wealth and uh, fortune and fame and a family, he comes to ruin and realizes that it really was just for nothing. So much so that he leaves it all behind with just the clothes on his back and walks to the Christian settlement off in the distance, which is kind of metaphorical uh, for uh, a new Jerusalem, the kingdom of God. He's now seeing, he's now walking in the light while there's still light. And we hear that there's a refectory there, which is almost metaphorical for a Lord's Supper or the Supper of the Lamb. And he's taken to a guest house. In my father's house, there are many rooms. And the most important thing is he can now lay down all his burdens and fears. And as Christ said in the upper room, have peace, have peace. Well, just as Jesus miraculously appeared in the upper room twice, Jesus is actively breaking through the fortified walls of your heart. No matter where you are in your life's journey or your Christian's walk, Jesus is breaking in. See the wounds and believe. See his wounds and say, my Lord and my God. Hear him give you peace and say, yes, I want to believe. Do not be an enemy of God. Come out of the darkness and walk in light while there is still light. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we believe. Help thou our unbelief where we have unbelief, Lord. And thank you for giving us John and his gospel so that we might believe uh, that we have what is sufficient for our belief. 
Help us uh, to see Christ's wounds. Help him uh, to, to help give us new life, Lord. Uh, send him as a burglar to steal away our idols into our heart. Break down the fortified walls, Lord, and give us faith. Lord, we believe. Amen.